Troy just be Troy just be out of luck. Um, okay, man, it's great to be back. Um, good to see y'all. I'm, I've missed you the last couple of weeks, um, and been off doing the Lord's work. And um, anyway, thank you for uh, for being being here, being faithful. Y'all heard some good stuff while I was gone. Uh, BT stuff on on when no sign comes was excellent. I haven't heard Ben's yet. Um, but uh, I heard that it was it was also good, and I'm looking forward to listening to that. Um, let, let's let's get rolling today. This is going to be a little bit of a weird question, but work with me here. Uh, what was the last hand tool that you used? Come on, Steve. I need you to bail me out on this one. What what was the last hand tool? Okay. Yeah, last hand tool you used. Ladies, we're going to include kitchen implements in this, if that's not too stereotypical. Okay, you might have used a hammer, but I don't know. Yeah, so uh, John used a sledgehammer. What did you use a sledgehammer for, brother? Okay, where did you uh, where did you put it whenever you were done? You left it right there, didn't you? You left it right there, okay. All right. That was, that was, my dad's name was Billy. That was the Billy Cooper method of tool organization. I'm going to use it, and I'm going to leave it where I last used it. That way I always know <laughs> where to go back and find it. Now, that's all great, but, you know, if you don't know where dad was the last time he used it, then, then we're still finding stuff. Uh, somebody else, last hand tool or, or Tommy? Also use a sledgehammer. Okay, what were you using the sledgehammer for? I was splitting some wood, and one of the big chunks of wood got caught on the splitter wet, and I had to knock it off. Okay. Where'd you put the sledgehammer whenever you were done, Tom? You left it. You left. Oh, you put it back in the shed. Congrats. Somebody else? Steve, did you use a planer? That is a little bit. You know, Steve does all this guitar work and stuff. Furniture building. Let's ask Brother Tier. Tier doesn't use. Let's ask Brother Tier. He doesn't use hand tools. Use a dustpan. Okay. Did he say? Did he say dustpan? He really did say dustpan. Okay. What What were you using dustpan for, Tier? Okay. Where'd you put it whenever you're done? All right. Okay. Anybody else have an exciting hand tool story to tell this morning? Okay. I'm guessing that's a no. Uh, in Exodus chapter 4, and uh, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, so all you King James scholars, just chill out. Um, but King, in, in New Living Translation, it says it this way. It says, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it to the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Exclamation point. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. I want to talk to you guys for a little while today about what you have in your hand. And I have provided a few little note sheets for you. Um, it should be pretty apparent. 
what you need to write there whenever we get to that point. Context matters. Context matters. So Moses is out tending the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law, and at this point in his life, Moses is pushing 80 years old. We know that he lived in the palace of Pharaoh for 40 years. Moses was a Hebrew, right? And uh, his, the, his Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt. They had been slaves for almost 400 years. And Moses, had, uh, Moses was a Hebrew. He lived in Pharaoh's palace for 40 years. We also know that Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd uh, in the wilderness of Midian. So now he's 80 years old. Now Moses lived to be 120, so two-thirds of his life is over. Moses is starting to think about retirement. He's out tending sheep, and he's thinking about 401Ks and vacation homes and tending sheep. And he sees something really unusual. He turns aside to look at it, and it's this bush that's on fire. Uh, But even though it's burning, it's not consumed. And so Moses goes to check it out, and God talks to him out of this burning bush. And now scholars call this a theophany. We call it weird. It's this manifestation of God to man. Theophany. God talks to Moses out of the bush, and God tells him, look, Moses, I have... I've seen the, listen to the language here. I've seen the oppression of my people, the oppression of my people. I've heard their cries. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to lead them out of, their, uh, out of the land of Egypt and into their own land. It's this really sweet place of real estate. It flows with milk and honey. I'm going to do all this. Then God says, now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh so you can lead my people out of Egypt. And that's where Moses put the brakes on. Look, the first part of your plan, Lord, it, it, it's good. That, that's a, that's a, I'm on board with the first part. You love your people. You've seen your people. You've heard your people. You're going to rescue your people, and you're going you're gonna to set them up with some sweet new digs. That's a rock-solid plan, Lord. It's good stuff. I'm all in. Let's do it that way. But that last part, that last part you said, that, that, that part about me going to Pharaoh and that part about me leading, the, leading your people out, that part's a little sketchy. And we need to talk about that part. So, so Moses starts to tell God how he's got the wrong guy for the job. All of these reasons why he can't do what God told him to do. And it's fascinating and funny stuff. I challenge you to go read it. Read it in the King James. Read it in NIV. Read it in New Living Translation. Read it in the Message. It's funny. Whatever translation you read it in. And in the middle of that whole discussion between Moses and God about what God wants Moses to do and why, why Moses telling God you got the wrong guy, in the middle of that whole discussion is our text here from the beginning of Exodus 4. And what Moses says is, Lord, they aren't going to believe me. It wasn't a question. Moses was stating what he believed was going to happen. And I I really, I believe that Moses wasn't being a whiny baby. And he wasn't being, trying to be manipulative. Let's put this in perspective. I mean, he knew at this point that he was speaking with Almighty God. And God even told him, look, bud, you need to take off your shoes because you're on holy ground and don't come any closer than you are right now. That's going to startle all of us in here. It's going to wake all of us up. So Moses knows who he's talking to. So he's he's not being whiny. He's saying, Lord, these people 
are not going to believe me. He's speaking out of the deepest part of his heart here. They're not going to believe me. It's a validation issue. It's a credibility issue. God, these, these people know me. They know what I did. Right? Because Moses had murdered the Egyptian and then had to run off out of Egypt in, in shame. They, they know my mistake. They know that I left in failure. Lord, I, I couldn't handle this simple situation between one Egyptian and one Hebrew. How am I going to lead a million Hebrews out of a whole nation of Egyptians? God, I left there a prince. Don't make me go back as a shepherd. Don't make me go back into Pharaoh's palace with the stink of sheep on me. I'm really glad I said that right. <laughs> Who's going to listen to me? Lord, who would follow me? Because I've, I've got no credibility with them. Your plan, your, God, your plan won't work because of who I am. Your plan won't work because of the mistakes that I've made. Your plan's not going to work because of how people see me. Now, y'all didn't know Moses said all that, but he did. He, he said all that. Whenever he was saying, God, they're not going to believe me. So God says to all of that, to all that stuff, all this credibility issue stuff that Moses got going on, God says, Moses, what is that in your hand? And Moses says, it's a shepherd's staff. And God says, throw it down. So Moses throws it down, it becomes a snake. And then God says, alright, now I want you to pick it up. So Moses picks it up and becomes a staff again. Now I read that part and I think, what in the world is going on here? Uh, you know, Moses is in the middle of having this crisis of faith, Brian. He, he's got this crisis of identity, and, and God's like, Moses, what is that? Well, Lord, it's a staff. Well, throw it down. Pick it up. It's a staff. No, it's a snake. No, now it's a snap again. Just kidding, Moses. I mean, is God ADD? What's going on here? here I know two things. I know two things. Number one, God doesn't perform miracles just to show off. Number two, if God asks you a question, it's for your benefit and not for His. What's that in your hand? So here's point number one. And it's a strange question that God asked Moses considering the con context. You know, and Moses is having this uh-uh this moment. Y'all have had them too where God tells you, Look, I want you to do something, or he put just slides that little impression into the depth of your spirit, and you're like, oh, uh-uh. You've had those, I've had them. We'll probably have more before we make it to heaven. God, they're not going to believe me because of who, I, of who I am. I've got this faith crisis, this identity crisis. God says, what's that in your hand? It's a shepherd's staff, Lord. It's a, it's a big stick, and I carry it around with me all day long, and it helps me do my job. That's, that's what it is. Folks, please pay attention whenever God starts asking you questions. Because He already knows the right answer. And if God's asking you a question, it's not because He needs you to explain something to Him. 
He's probably just really interested in how you're going to answer. He wants to see if you see things the same way he sees them. Moses, what's that in your hand? It's a staff, Lord. It's my identity, number one. It's my identity. Moses was a shepherd. It's what he did. Day in, day out, rain or shine. He herded sheep. He had been doing it for 40 years at this point. Now, if Moses only worked eight hours a day and he only worked five days a week, then at this point in his life, he had 83,200 hours spent herding sheep. Now, Malcolm Gladwell says that there's something called the 10,000-hour expert rule. If you want to be an expert at something, you do it for 10,000 hours, and if you do it correctly, then you're an expert. So at this point, Moses is at least an expert with sheep eight times over. So he knows what he's doing. He knows, he knows how to tell when they're healthy. He knows how to tell when they're sick. He knows whenever they're about to give birth. He knows when they're about to die. He can tell the difference between the noises they make whenever they're hungry and the noises they make whenever they're content. He knows the difference between what sheep do whenever they're in danger, like real danger, or if they're just kind of startled by something. He knows how much they need to eat. He knows how much they need to drink. He knows how to spot the troublemaker sheep. And he knows how to spot the goody four-shoes sheep. He knows where the watering holes were. I kind of thought y'all would laugh at that one. Okay. He knew the best places for them to graze. And he knew the best places for them to lay down and rest. Moses was a shepherd. It's what he knew and it's what he did. It was his identity. Moses, what's that in your hand? It's, it's, It's a staff, Lord. It's a shepherd's staff. It was his income. It was his income. See, all of his assets were wrapped up in sheep. Back then, you didn't have, uh, you know, you didn't have a salary, you didn't have a minimum wage, you didn't have, you know, hedge funds. Uh, if your flock was your career, and if you had a lot, a lot of livestock, then you were wealthy. Moses, what, what is that in your hand? It's, it's just a staff, Lord. It's my influence. Because what do you do with a shepherd's staff? You move sheep from point A to point B. It's how you influence sheep. It's how you get them to move. You poke them, you prod them, you pull them. It's what you do. It's how you make those sheep do what's best for them and how you make them do what's best for the rest of the sheep. What's that in your hand, Moses? It's, it's, it's a staff. Lord, it's my identity. It's my income. It's my influence. A good Moses. You got the answer right. Now throw it on the ground. Moses, I want you to take your identity, your income, and your influence, and I want you to throw it on the ground. Sounds a little crazy now, doesn't it? Folks, never underestimate the impact or the ripple effect of a single act of obedience. Don't underestimate the impact of a single act of obedience. 
Guys, one act of obedience, no matter how small it may seem or how ridiculous it may seem, one act of obedience can reverse what you have ruined and make it right. After Get this, at, at this point, after 40 years in the wilderness, God was finally putting Moses on the path back to restoration. But the first step in that journey to restoration was, it was one of obedience. It was an obedient act of surrender. It was an obedient act of worship. It was an obedient act of faith. Lord, here's my identity. Here's my income. Here's my influence. And I'm throwing it down before you. God wanted to show Moses something. What he, what he showed him was, because what happened whenever Moses threw it down? turned to a snake, right? God made that staff come a lot. God was telling him, look, you throw that stuff down before me and I'll make it come alive. I'll put life that you never imagined into that. I'll make it do stuff that you never thought possible. I'll work the miraculous with what you've got right there in your hand. But you've got to throw it down before me first. You know, Moses' shepherd staff went on to play a role in multiple miracles. Uh, you read through the book of Exodus. Moses struck the rock with his staff. Water came out. Uh, parting of the Red Sea. Moses stretches his hand out with his staff out over the sea and swoop. Things split wide open. That's a crazy day at work. Honey, how was work today? Well, pretty wild. Uh, you know, we were standing in front of the ocean and I stretched my staff out and the thing just split wide open. Oh, that's nice. Would you like potatoes with your pork chop? Or they didn't eat pork. You know, this, this got... Okay, I've been up for a long time today and I'm on my third cup of coffee. So, uh, it's a good thing that God trusted Moses with the staff and not me. There's no telling what I would have done with something like that. You know? You smack a rock and water comes out of it. I'm walking around smacking people in the rear end with it just to see what will happen. I'm splitting people in half. Forget splitting you to divide you right in half. Here's the point. Moses was obedient and threw the symbol of his identity, his income, and his influence down before the Lord. And in return, watch this, God didn't do one miracle. God did multiple miracles. He did at least three that we know of. Folks, God is willing to bless whatever you're willing to throw down. And there's an inverse to that. Because if you're not willing to throw it down, He's not going to be able to bless it. God's willing to bless whatever we're willing to throw down. And, and oh, here's the great part. Y'all going to love this. God didn't tell Moses why He wanted to, to throw it down. God didn't explain to Moses what was going to happen whenever he obeyed. He didn't say, all right, look, Moses, I want you to throw the staff down. Whenever you throw it down, it's going to become a snake. It don't work. I'm going to tell you to pick it up by the tail, and it's going to turn back into a staff again. He didn't explain all that to him. But before we give, we want a guarantee. We want explanation before we'll expend ourselves. And God says, if you'll just have the faith to follow instructions... I'll take what you surrendered to me and I'll make it significant. 
What do you have in your hand, Moses? Well, then throw it down and watch what I can do with it. See, in your hand, it's identity and it's income and it's influence and you need those things. But in my hand, it becomes something more. In my hand, it becomes supernatural provision. In my hand, it it becomes divine deliverance. I can take what you have in your hand that you carry around with you every day that helps you do your job, that secures your finance. I can take what you've got in your hand, that, that thing you're so comfortable with and seems so common to you because you handle it every day, and I can make it my instrument. But you've got to let go of it first. you got to loosen your grip, dummy. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Sticky, here's a sticky statement. You can have faith, or you can have control, but you can't have both. I have absolutely no business doing what I'm about to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. I have no business making a golf analogy, but here it comes right now. Uh, who, who are my golfers? Who, uh, who tries? Okay. So I've never played around the golf in my life. Went to the driving range one day, it's probably been five or six years ago, with uh, my buddy Shane Michelli. Never gone back. I haven't been back since. Because I found out that hitting that little white dimple ball with a crooked stick is not my hidden talent. It's not mine. And one of the biggest reasons I've never been back is because I was traumatized by this old fat guy at the driving range. Because every time I would try to hit the ball, now he was standing at the other end of the driving range. And every time I would try to hit the ball, he would shout instructions at me. Loudly. Like for everybody to hear. Now, I didn't know what I was doing to begin with. I mean, Shane and I are just out there goofing around. Loosen your hips! I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Keep your chin down. Quack! I'm hitting worm burners, man. They're just scorching right across the top of the ground about that far. Straighten your back. Loosen your grip. And I swear to God, he said, dummy. Loosen your grip, dummy. And it, it got kind of funny because by the time it was all over, I was so intimidated. I didn't know what I was doing. By the time it was all over, Shane and I are laughing at this point. I'm doing stuff wrong on purpose just to get him wound up and make him yell more. And the more he would shout, the more Shane and I would laugh. So, yeah, that was my golf experience. So one thing that I really took away from my, uh, from my professional golf lesson that day was the importance of grip, okay? If you want to drive a golf ball, you can't grip the club too tightly. It's very counterintuitive. For those of you that think it's easy to do, I challenge you to try. Because you think, if I really want to crush this thing, I've got to strangle the end of this golf club. But you can't. To get the most out of your swing, you've got to loosen your grip. And God told Moses, throw it down. He was asking Moses to let go 
man, let go of, of who you are. Let go of what you, what you have. And it's so counterintuitive to us because we think if I want who I am and, and what I am to really be something and to really amount to something, then I've got to have a death grip on it. And God's saying, look, let me, let me have it. Loosen your grip and, and throw the thing down. So what are you not willing to let go of? Don't you, we're just going to slow it down for a minute. Everybody's got a different answer this morning. What is it that you are not willing to let go of? Because if you aren't willing to let it go, then you don't control it. It controls you. And if you don't throw it down, your staff will always remain a staff. It will always be, Kayla, what it, what it currently is. And the, the challenge for us is, for most of us, that's pretty good. I mean, it, it might not be great, but it's... I mean, it's pretty good. We can get by. But we're conflicted. Because the reality of what we have in our hand and the dream that God has placed in our hearts, there's a gap between them. And we can't get there while we're holding on to it over here. But if we've got, if we will just have the courage to throw it down, it can become more than what we could ever have made it on our own. Not because you threw it, but because of the because of the one who will change it. You know, if, if the little boy had, if he had held on to his, you know, two fish and five loaves that day, they would have just remained what they were. He would have been able to feed himself. And that's it. Folks, at some point, we're going to get tired of sitting around the table feeding just us. We're going to get tired of sitting around the table eating by ourselves. At some point, God's going to ask you a question that He already knows the answer to. What, what's that in your hand? Read to you a little bit from Mark Batterson today. It's short, not even a full page. Interesting though, because this guy's name is Sir Moses. Moses Montefiore was a modern day Moses. He was the first Jew to hold high office in the city of London. A close friend of the royal family, he was knighted Sir Moses by Queen Victoria in 1837, the same year he was elected sheriff to London. In later life, Sir Moses became famous for his philanthropy. That's fancy for he gave away a lot of money. He made seven trips to the Holy Land, the last one at age of 91. 
His love for the Holy, Holy Land was evidenced by his funding of a textile factory, a printing press, a windmill, and several agricultural colonies in Palestine. On Moses' 100th birthday, the London Times devoted its editorials to his praise. In one of them, a notable exchange was relayed to readers. Someone once asked Sir Moses to reveal his net worth. This man who had amassed a fortune through business ventures and real estate acquisitions thought for a moment. Then he named a figure that undercut the questioner's expectation. The surprised inquirer said, but surely the sum of your wealth must be much more than that. With a smile, Sir Moses replied, you didn't ask me how much I own. You asked me how much I am worth. So I calculated how much I had given to charity this past year because we are worth only what we are willing to share with others. What's your net worth? It's not calculated by the sum total of your stock holdings or real, real estate property assessments, and it has nothing to do with the trophies in your case or the degrees on your wall or the title on your business card. Your net worth equals the sum total of all you've given away, not a penny more and not a penny less. And when everything is said and done, what you don't share is lost forever. But what you put into the hands of God becomes an eternal keepsake. Throw down your staff. So this week, I want you to take stock of what you have in your hand. These are your action steps for this week. I want you to take stock of what you've got in your hand. I want you to realistically look at what you hold. Your identity. What do you do every day? Whether it's a mom working from home, and good God, that is huge. Full-time ministry, business owner, working for the state, plugging away in the classroom, pulling wire, whatever it is you do. Look at it. This is what I do. This, this is who I am every day. This is what I'm comfortable with. Look at your income. Look at your influence, your circle of people that you talk to. And ask yourself this question, how can I throw it down? How can I entrust my identity to God's purpose? How can I trust what I know how to do to God's purpose? How can I entrust who I am every day to His purpose? How can I entrust my income to His purpose? I'm going to go ahead and slide over into that pastor realm. It's really none of my business, but I, I want you to be blessed. It, it, it's, it'll start with the tithe. we we got to start there. That, that's just that's Bible. How can I entrust my influence to God? So what we need to do is we, we need to pray. And this is the last part. So what I have to do is I've got to like, I've got to go back and, and try to figure out the stuff that I messed up in the past. Okay? Uh, hopefully not everybody in this room has that same problem. But God, I, I need you to tell me, show me. If you told me to throw something down a long time ago and I didn't do it, then I need you to tell me again and show me again. I, might, I missed it back then, I wasn't ready, I was too afraid, whatever. 
but show me again. Give me another chance to get it right. Or God, right now, show me how I can give you what I have in my hand. Show me how I can put that before you in a step of obedience, in a step of faith, in a step of worship. What's that in your hand? In the middle of your faith crisis? In the middle of your identity crisis? In the middle of your I don't know what to do now God because everything just fell apart on me crisis? God says, what's that in your hand? Let's pray. Hmm. Lord, <laughs> you know the answer to the question uh, before you even ask, but you want us to take another look. So help us today to take a realistic look at what it is we have that we're holding in our hands, our identity, our influence, our income. Lord, if you've put something on us before about laying it down or throwing it down so that you could take it and make something more of it, and we missed it that last time, God, bring it back to us again. Give us another chance. Help us to see it again. Talk to us about it again. Lord, maybe it's something new. Maybe somebody in here has walked into a new area of influence in their life. Maybe something has happened financially that's totally new for them. Lord, maybe there's been, been a change of identity, God, based on what they do or, or new relationships that they have. But they've not heard it from You yet. Lord, help them to throw that down too. So that You can make it everything that it can be and do the miraculous with it in our lives. We love You this morning, Lord. We thank You for talking to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm done. I'm done.